Hey y'all, welcome back to Live and Love and Laughing and Grace. I'm Charlie and I am so glad that you are here with me today. I know I just threw some of you off, right? Cause I changed up that greeting, <laughs> even just a little bit, but um, welcome back. Uh, I say welcome back cause this is the second part of our series that we're in looking at the beautiful relationship we have with God as our friend that he has said, he has declared he is our friend in Song of Solomon. 516. It says his mouth is most sweet. Yes, he is altogether lovely. This is my beloved and this is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. And we talked about how this is the bride talking about the bridegroom and the church of Christ is called the bride and Jesus is our bridegroom. Amen. So we looked at that and then we were talking about how do we become God's friend? Uh, where we went down a wonderful bunny trail talking about the rapture and how the Bible ends and that incredible prayer there, right? Such a short prayer, but, but just lines us up, my friends, with what the Lord is doing in the future. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Amen. And I really encourage you to, to, to declare that, you know. Um, sometimes when I am just looking around at God's amazing beauty and creation. I know what it is something about when I go out and look at the stars, especially this prayer just rises in my heart. I don't know, maybe it's like the, the, the more I see of his beauty, the more desperate I become to see him, the one who has created all this beauty. I mean, if he can make such beautiful things, how much more beautiful must he be? Hallelujah. So this desperate cry almost comes up in me. Come Lord Jesus, come. Amen. Hallelujah. So in James 2:23 we saw that it says and the scripture was fulfilled which says Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness and he was called the friend of God. So we saw that the way to become the friend of God is to become righteous. And how do we become righteous? When we believe in Jesus Christ. In Romans 10:8 through 13 it says it told us that when we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, that we shall be saved. And that with the heart, one believes unto righteousness, believes my friend. We believe, we simply believe and God accounted to us as righteousness. And with the mouth, we speak it, we speak it. Hallelujah. That's why we, we, we have, you know, a lot of people call it the salvation prayer. You know, it's not a specific set of words you have to say. What it is, is that you are speaking out loud. You are confessing with your mouth what you're believing in your heart. Amen. And so it says through the confession that you receive salvation. So we see that that means what? We're all God's friends. If you have received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then God is your friend. And if you haven't, let's do that, right? Amen. That's why you're listening so that you can receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and God can become your friend. He wants to be your friend. Amen. Jesus wants to be your friend. So we see that God is our friend. Hallelujah. Now, how long does our friendship last? This is so beautiful. In 2 Chronicles 20, verse 6 through 7, King Jehoshaphat is addressing the Lord, actually, because his, uh, his city... There's like lots of armies way outnumbering his, his army have gathered together against him. And when you find yourself, we even talked about this last time, right? When you find yourself in trouble, what do you do? Sometimes our first reaction is to call our best friend. 
and ask them, hey, what would, what would you do or seek advice or whatever? You know what King Jehoshaphat did? He went right into the temple and asked the Lord, what should I do? <laughs> like he knew without God's help that there was no help, right? And so he says this, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? And do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? So what is he doing? He's making big of God and little of the problem. So he, in the natural, has had all these armies come against him. But he's saying, but basically he's saying, but what is that compared to you, God? You rule over all the kingdoms and all the nations. And in your hand, is there not power and might so that no one is able to withstand you? Are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend forever? Isn't that wonderful? You gave it to Abraham, your friend forever. Once a friend of God, always a friend of God. Sometimes we're not a very good friend to him, right? But he never stops being our friend. And have you ever had relationships like that where you know the other person's kind of a better friend to you than you are to them? but you still appreciate them. You're still glad that they're there, right? Sometimes we can really take God for granted. We can really underappreciate him, but he never stops being our friend. He never stops being our friend. He paid a price so that he could be our friend. He is your friend, say forever, forever. Say, God is my friend forever. Jesus is my friend forever. The Holy Spirit is my friend forever. I don't care what you do. I don't care what you say, because guess what? What you do and what you say didn't start this friendship in the first place, right? What Jesus did and what Jesus said at the cross is what started this friendship. So nothing you do or say now can cause you to lose it. I grew up in this thinking that I, I, I thank the Lord I knew I couldn't lose my salvation because it was bad enough thinking that I could lose my friendship. That was hard enough. But we can't because it's not based on us. You know, even in a friendship, one person sought out that friendship first. Right? One person in the friendship had to say, I want to be friends with that person. I like them. I'm going to see if they want to hang out sometime. I'm going to see if they'll, you know, take my phone number or let me have their phone number. You know, I'm going to go sit and have lunch with them. Someone initiated the friendship. It may have even been so subtle because maybe both of you just really clicked, but one person initiated that friendship. And for us, that's the Lord. The Lord initiated this friendship and he carries it through. Amen. And so we've looked at how we became God's friend. We looked at how long our friendship uh, lasts, which is forever. And so now I want to look at together what it looks like to be a friend of God. You know, we even talked last time about what the um, natural definition of a friend is. Someone that you like, someone that you socialize with, someone who's a helper to you, someone who sympathizes with you. And so now I want us to look, we're going to look at just a little peek, one portion of Abraham's life, because the Bible has already used him, right, as an example of someone who is God's friend. In fact, Abraham is the first person who is specifically called 
God's friend. Now we know that God came and walked with Adam and Eve uh, in, in the beginning, right? In the garden before they fell, it said that he would come in the cool of the day and they would walk together and talk together. But Abraham is the first one specifically called God's friend. And you know, Abraham was under a grace covenant with God. He lived several hundred years before the law was given, the law of Moses, and he was under a grace covenant. So he is a picture for us and the Old Testament of the sort of covenant that we have today because we are under a grace covenant. We can learn a lot by seeing the way that Abraham and God interacted with each other. You know, Abraham way blew it several times. And do you know that God never once corrected him, never once disciplined him? Now, there were consequences that Abraham had to deal with, but God didn't punish him. In fact, God blessed him. And through God's faithfulness to Abraham in those situations, eventually we see that Abraham learned to stop trusting himself, which is why he was making the mistake. Specifically, I can think of where he kept lying about his wife and giving her away to other men for their harems, right? Because his wife was so beautiful that these other men would want her in their harems. You know, he did that on two separate occasions and neither time did God correct him. And then we see that later on in life, Many, many, many years later, God asked Abraham to make a sacrifice that would cost him part of his family, his son. And what we see is that Abraham has finally learned through grace, through God's kindness, that he could trust the Lord with his family. Abraham went to make that sacrifice. The Bible says because he believed and knew that God would raise his son from the dead if he needed to because God had already made him a promise that his descendants would fill the earth and that was his only son. Hallelujah. Bunny trail. <laughs> I say it all that to share with you. You know, Romans 2, 4 tells us that God leads us to repentance through his kindness. And repentance simply means to change your mind, my friends. Change your mind about what you're believing about God. Change your mind about what he wants for your life. Change your mind about what he wants for you. Ultimately, change your mind about him. We need to always be growing in our revelation of who he is because we cannot make a big enough deal about his goodness or grace or love. Amen. And it was through that that he finally brought Abraham to change his mind and he started relying on the Lord and stopped relying on himself. So anyways, <laughs> happy little buddy trail. But, uh, but that's why we come to Abraham. The New Testament references him because he had a covenant of grace. He received righteousness simply through believing the Lord, just like we today receive righteousness simply by believing the Lord. Now, here's the, here's the benefit to us. Abraham didn't have the fullness of that covenant because Jesus hadn't yet been crucified. So we have the added benefit that Jesus has been crucified now. So we can actually have the Holy Spirit living in us. You know, in the Old Testament, God's people, even Abraham, never had the Holy Spirit living in him. Sometimes the Holy Spirit would come upon them. He came upon David. He came upon Aaron. He came upon the priests, but he couldn't come in them because since Jesus hadn't actually been sacrificed yet, his blood hadn't actually been shed yet, man could not be clean enough inside to receive the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is so holy, my friends. He's so righteous and perfect. He cannot even come near sin. And we are sinful. We are born in our sin, the Bible says. 
my friends, I, I know we don't like, we like to think that children are innocent, but they're sinful. From the time we're born, we are sinful. It's our fallen nature. It's who we are. We sin because we're born as sinners, right? On the same token, once you're born again, you're born again into righteousness and you do righteous things because you have now become the righteousness of God in Christ. It's not your actions that make you righteous. It's who you now are. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Say that with me. Say, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, my friends. Say, I am a born again, beloved child of God. Hallelujah. Amen. So we get the benefit of the Holy Spirit living in us. That best friend we talked about constantly guiding us. You know, we heard about it last time telling us, hey, go this way. Hey, do this. Hey, don't do that to teach us to prosper, to teach us to profit. He does it to protect us, to strengthen us, to comfort us. Hallelujah. We've got all these amazing gifts that they didn't get to have back then, but we can still learn a lot from what they did have, right? So we're going to go to Genesis 18. And we're going to look at what, what it was like to be the friend of God. Amen. So it says in Genesis 18, verse one, then the Lord appeared to him, that, that's Abraham. Then the Lord appeared to him by the terebinth trees of Mamar, as he was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day. So he lifted his eyes and looked and behold, three men were standing by him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the ground and said, My Lord, if I have now found favor in your sight, do not pass on by your servant. Please let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. And I will bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh your hearts and that you may pass by in as much as you have come to your servant. After that, you may pass by. And they said, Do as you have said. So this is a pre-incarnate appearance of our Lord Jesus. Abraham, you know, this is, the, this is in the, the Middle East, right? Where it gets really hot in the heat of the day. He's sitting in the tent door, right? To cool off, just hanging out. And he looks up and he sees the Lord. And he jumps up and runs to him. The Lord came to visit Abraham. Why? Because he's his friend. You know, the Lord wants to visit with you. That's what our quiet time is about. You know, I grew up we, in the, calling it a quiet time. It's just your alone time with Jesus. You know, it's, it's when you're reading uh, that daily devotional or spending some time in his word, spending some time in worship, just coming to his presence because he wants to visit with you. You're his friend. Just like your, your best friend, you know, something great happens and you shoot them a text or, you know, you, you call them up or, you know, you schedule get togethers with your family. It's the same thing because listen to what happens next. So the Lord comes and what happens next? So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah and said, quickly, make ready three measures of fine meal, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd, took a tender and good calf, gave it to a young man and he, uh, and he hastened to prepare it. So he took butter and milk and the calf which he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree as they ate. So what are they doing now? They're eating together. Oh, my friends. Like, like I said, uh, the beginning of the last podcast, when I think about my friends, the first thing I think about is laughter. I think the next thing I think about is eating because those are the two things we probably do the most together. We laugh, we eat. 
right? We have Bible study together. We talk about Jesus together. We pray together. All that leads to more laughing a lot of the time. Amen. Yes, sometimes, like, like I said, we share some tears together. But this is no different than what we do with our friends today, right? Uh, you know, I, I had the great privilege to get to go to Las Vegas a few weeks ago and, and hang out with my really, really wonderful friends there. And there were many times, what did we do to hang out together? We met up at restaurants, right? Some, some place that everyone could get to. And we'd have a good meal together. We'd catch up. We'd laugh. We'd find out what's going on in each other's lives, right? And it was a great time. That's what the Lord has just come to do with Abraham. And catch this. Abraham at this point is 99 years old. 99 years old, my friends. And their age is the same as our age. People will try to discount the, the, the miracles and say, oh, it's not that big a deal that they had a baby. Kids were having babies later, uh, later then. Well, if that were true, then the Bible wouldn't make such a big deal about it. Not only that, it mentions in several occasions that Sarah was long past the age of childbearing, which we're going to see. So it was a big deal that he was 99 years old. And did you catch how many times it said he ran around? At 99, he ran in the heat of the day in the desert to meet the Lord. He ran back into the tent to tell Sarah to get some food ready. He ran out to his herd, which was probably not right there, right? He ran to his herd to, to pick out a young goat, to, to a young calf to prepare for them. He ran back. I mean, he's like running, running, running all over the place. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. Give me the strength of Abraham. Hallelujah. You too. Who says we have to grow weak as we age. In fact, the Bible says for you, child of God, that as your strength, as your days grow, so does your strength. Reject everything. Yes, in the natural, our bodies decay, but that's the natural. The Lord has, has more than that for us. The Lord has the supernatural. So trust him. Declare that as your days are growing, so is your strength. You're going to be like Abraham, 99 years old, entering your first marathon, right? Your first Ironman competition. <laughs> Hallelujah. So they come to eat and they eat. And uh, the Lord asks, where's Sarah, your wife? So he said, here in the tent. And Jesus tells them, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And behold, Sarah, your wife shall have a son. Sarah was listening in the tent door, which was behind him. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old. Listen well advanced in age and Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. My friends, she's passed the age of childbearing. Their years were the same as our years. Okay. Now, if you want to know the literal translation, right? This is like a grown-up study. <laughs> oh, no little youngins listening. The literal translation of this um, is Sarah wasn't having her, we'll just say having her monthly anymore. Like there's, and it had been gone right? Way past the, the age of childbearing. And not only that, remember, even when she was young, she wasn't able to have a child. There was just something wrong with her that she was never able to bear children. So listen, it says, therefore, Sarah laughed within herself. Sarah laughed within herself. This news was too good to be true. You ever heard something so wonderful so good that it made you laugh, like almost laugh in disbelief, like there's no way that could happen. That's what she did. She laughed within herself, not out loud. It wasn't a ba ha 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 It's just to herself. Now listen what she said. After I have grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old 
also. Do you remember what our last study was about? That the Lord desires for you to have pleasure? Notice what she said. She didn't just say, shall me and my husband being old have a child? No, she said, after I have grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also. How do you bring about a child in the natural? Would you say it's pleasurable? I'm talking about how we get things going, right? Shall my Lord and I have pleasure? The Lord wants you to have pleasure, my friends. He just wants you to do it his way. I'm going to say something really crazy. You know the Lord designed sex? Yeah, God designed sex. He designed the pleasure of sex. And because he designed it, he knows how we will get the most enjoyment and pleasure out of it. And that is within the confines of a marriage, my friend. That's why the Bible tells us again and again to flee adultery. Did you know the Bible also tells us that every time we sleep with someone, we like we become attached to that person? Like we're leaving a piece of ourselves with them. So the Lord wants us to have pleasure. That's right. The Lord wants you to have sex. <laughs> Some of you are like, I cannot believe she's saying this. Charlie, are you going to move along? No, I'm not. The Lord wants to talk about it. He wants you to have sex. He just wants you to do it in the way that he knows is going to bring you the most pleasure and the most joy. And that's with your, with your husband or with your wife. Amen. Oh, once again, go back to Song of Solomon. You want to see some pleasure that's <laughs> some romance uh god is very romantic right think about our entire salvation story jesus chasing us down i mean talk about you know it's like sometimes when i watch like sleeping beauty or you know where the prince has to fight and fight and fight and the princess is just laying there sleeping doesn't even know what's happening and he's fighting his way through all of these things that's our savior my friends fighting his way fighting and fighting and fighting to get to each and every one of us and there was nothing we could do to help just like she just laid there there was nothing we could do to help but out of his great love and desire for us he fought his way all the way to the cross to bring us salvation to bring us into the greatest romance of all and that is the romance with him Hallelujah. Amen. So she says, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? And the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh, saying, shall I surely bear a child since I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? My friends, do you know that we never find the Lord telling someone they ask too much from him? But we do often hear him saying, we ask too little, that we restrain him. We don't take enough from him. That's why I encourage us so often to just say, hey, you know what, Lord? Bless me the way you want to bless me. Revive me, Lord, according to your word. Bring life into me according to your word, according to your promises, because it's always going to be so much greater and so beyond anything that we can imagine. Right? Those words we heard about how he wants pleasure for us. Lord, you bring pleasure into my life your way. Amen. Because I guarantee you it'll be far above and beyond anything that you're imagining. So he says, at the appointed time, I shall return to you according to the time in life. And Sarah shall have a son. 
But Sarah denied it, saying, I didn't laugh, for she was afraid. Right? I think I would be too. And he said, no, but you did laugh. You know what, my friends? There was a lot of laughter that happened that day, right? She was a little afraid, and, and I can just see the way the Lord says, no, you laughed, right? Like teasing her a little bit. They laughed so much that day. They had so much fun together. Do you know what they named their son? They named their son Laughter. Isaac is Hebrew, and the Hebrew, it means laughter. That's how much fun they had when the Lord came to their home. That's what it's like when we're friends with Jesus, when we're friends with God. And look, was there, was there a little bit of correction? Yeah, he did correct her. You know, by saying, what, what you think this is too hard for me? But did he correct her in a way that was painful or that put her down or was humiliating? No, he, but he corrected her because she needed to believe so that she could receive. He wanted her to receive the best that he had for her. So he did correct her like good friends do for each other. Right? But then in the end, right, he leaves it with a joke, laughter. Love, we see that they had a great time together. My friends, see Jesus as your friend. See God as your friend because he is. And this goes on. It goes on here. Would you believe we're running out of time again? That's kind of like a constant refrain, huh? I'll, I'll try to get off of that. <laughs> uh, me, you, and the time just, whew. Because I have so much fun with you, my friends. That's why. So right after this, it says that the men rose from there. Remember, there were, there were two others with the Lord and looked towards Sodom. And Abraham went with them to send them on their way. Doesn't that sound like a friend? You know, when we have people come and visit us, we always walk out the door and walk to their car with them. You know, it's like you just, you just, yeah, you want to soak up every second that you can get, right? So it's like you go with them. When our, we, are, so we are so blessed to have friends that come and visit us from other places. You know, we'll, we'll take them back to the airport and it's like I hang around the, the TSA line just waiting as long as I can, right? Like to send them on their way. That's what this is like. It's like they have such a, a warmth, such a, a friendship that Abraham walks with them to send them on their way. He walks with the Lord to send the Lord on the way. Hallelujah. And remember how the whole thing started. The Lord came to visit him. The Lord wants to visit with us, my friends. So as he did that, as Abraham walked along the way, and here's the thing, the more we walk along the way with the Lord, the more tidbits and secrets we get. And the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing? Since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. And the Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grave, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against it that has come to me. And if not, I will know. My friends, listen to this. I got to share this real quick. Did God really have to come down to earth to see if the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah were as wicked as he believed they were? Of course not. But God is so 
slow to anger. The Bible even says that in the Psalms, that he is slow to anger and long suffering. And listen, it says he's going down there to see whether it's really as bad. Why? He's hoping for a reason to not have to destroy these cities. And you know who that reason was? Abraham. He knew that Abraham had a vested interest in the outcome of Sodom and Gomorrah because Abraham's nephew Lot was living there. He had no business living there. He shouldn't have been living there. Those cities were very wicked. And the Bible says that Lot vexed his righteous soul every day that he lived there. And Lot even became so much like them that later on when he goes and tries to tell his son-in-laws that the Lord's going to destroy the city, they thought he was joking. They thought he was drunk. Here's the thing, my friends. Yes, once we are saved, we can't lose it and we can choose to go back and, and, and live like the world. And we cannot lose our salvation because it came from the Lord. But we can lose our testimony. Right? We can lose the glory that the Lord has put on us. And that then when we do try to share, people don't believe us. They think we're, we're, we're joking, drunk, crazy, like, oh, yeah, she's just in one of her moods again. We can lose our testimony. Be confident knowing that you cannot lose your salvation. Like Lot, if you could, Lot would have lost his, my friends. Read about it and the things that he did. He did some pretty horrible stuff. But in the New Testament, it doesn't talk about the horrible things that he did. It calls him righteous and said he vexed his righteous soul by living among all of that sin. It will affect us, my friends. What we're hearing all the time affects us. What we're seeing all the time affects us. Amen. And that's a bunny child. I didn't mean to go down. Ooh, okay. So, but because Lot was living there, Abraham had a vested interest in the outcome of these cities. And do you think the Lord knew that? Of course he did. So he goes to his friend Abraham, who lives way up on this mountain. He can see those cities, but has nothing to do with them and is far, far away from them and tells them what he's going to do, that he's going to have to go down there and destroy the city. And then Abraham, being a friend of God, knowing that he can talk to God, basically gets into an exchange with him. Well, well, Lord, if you found just 50 righteous people, would you slay the city? Would you slay the wicked and the righteous together? Would you spare the city for 50 people? And the Lord says, yes, I'll spare the city for 50 people. My friends, I believe the Lord was on a righteousness hunt. He was hoping that there would be some righteous people in those cities so that he could spare them. So him and Abraham go back and forth. Abraham goes, what about 45? What about 40? What about 35? What about 30? They go back and forth, just like they're old time friends. They go back and forth in this debate until Abraham gets down to 10. Abraham says, if you find 10, will you spare the city? These were big cities. And Abraham gets down to just 10 people. And I think he stopped there because he assumed that just from the number of people in Lot's family, that would save the city. He assumed that Lot had evangelized to his own family, but it wasn't enough. There were less than 10 righteous people in those cities. And the Lord never told Abraham to stop. Abraham chose on his own. But what I want you to see is that Abraham, as a friend of God, had influence with him. The Lord agreed each time to what Abraham said. 
This is how he leaves off. Then he said, let not the Lord be angry. This is Abraham speaking, but at no point, just so you know, Abraham, like each of us, is still learning the character of God. And he's realized that he can talk to him, but he doesn't realize just how slow to anger he is. Because if you read this, you'll see at no point did the Lord ever seem angry. He says, let not the Lord be angry and I'll speak but once more. So Abraham limited himself. Suppose 10 should be found there. And the Lord said, I will not destroy it for the sake of 10. So the Lord went his way as soon as he had finished speaking with Abraham and Abraham returned to his place. My friends, Abraham had influence with the Lord. He had influence with the Lord. The Lord agreed to what Abraham said. Do you see that? And he knows Abraham has a personal reason to care about this city. Do you know many times the things that come across your path, right? Maybe you see this situation going on in this place, or you happen to catch this little bit of news, or you see this condition, or someone comes across your, your path, right? And, and they're, they're experiencing some, some sort of trauma or, or problem that you've been through in your life. Do you think the Lord doesn't know that you have a personal reason to want to see their good. That's why he brings them along your path. That's why he lets you hear that bit of news because you have the ability to intercede for those people. You have the ability to make a difference here on this earth because you have influence with God. He is your friend. He is your best friend. Start seeing, you know, for your own life. Yes. Remember, he's your best friend. So think about if you get confused about whether or not God wants something in your life, is it something you'd want for your best friend? Like your, your best friend in the natural, right? Because I hear people say things sometimes like that God doesn't want to heal. Really? So you want to see your best friend with cancer, suffering, and in pain? I don't think so. God's your best friend, honey. He don't want to see you suffering or in pain. Sometimes we have horrible situations of loss an unexpected loss of death. Would you want that for your friend? Guess what? God doesn't want it for you either. But man gave this world over to the devil, right? So there's a lot of things that happen that are not God's desire, but that's where we can step in and use our influence that he's given us. That's how he's ordained it. He won't just force his way on this earth because he gave this earth to man. So we have influence and, and think, you know what? Would I want my best friend to have this? Then the Lord wants me to have it. And you can go to him about it. Hallelujah. Remember that he is your best friend. He cares for you. And his mouth is most sweet. He is altogether lovely. He is your beloved and he is your friend. Amen. And I want to close with this. Did you catch this? In Genesis 18:33 it says, "So the Lord went his way as soon as he had finished speaking with Abraham." Look at that. Lord Almighty, God of heaven and earth, King of kings, creator of all. He didn't go his way until he was finished speaking with Abraham. He makes the same time for you today, my friend. Even right now, 
right? That's what he's doing. He's visiting with us. He's speaking with us. He's speaking in your heart, speaking in my heart. Amen. And he longs to visit with us as a friend. Hallelujah. 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 Well, my friends, I have got to let you go. If you have been listening to this and you you say, God isn't my friend. I have never received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I want you to take the opportunity to do that right now, my friend. It is just as easy as believing in your heart and confessing with your mouth. And that's what we do when we pray. We confess with our mouth. So just join me in this prayer right now. Say, Heavenly Father, I thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to become my sacrifice. I believe that at the cross, he took all of my sins, all of my punishment, and all of my guilt. He was buried, he was in the grave, and on the third day, he rose again without it. His resurrection proves that I am justified. I am now the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ is my Lord and my Savior. And you, Father, You are my father and I am your beloved child. God, you are my best friend. Jesus, you are my best friend. Holy Spirit, you are my best friend. In the name of Jesus Christ, we declare amen. Amen. All right, my friend, welcome to the family of God. Expect to see him in your life. This is the best decision that you could ever make. Hallelujah. Amen. All right, my friends, uh, we will pick this up again next time. I pray it's been a blessing and just enjoy your Abba Father. Enjoy Jesus as you go throughout this week as your friend and see that he does desire to just visit with you, to just spend time with you, right? When you're having your lunch, you're having your coffee, whatever, hang out with your Lord. He loves you. Hallelujah. Okay, my friends, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and grant you peace, his peace. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. All right, y'all. Till next time. Keep on living, loving, laughing in grace.